Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. The Soundtrack Show will begin in five, four, three. In the early 1980s, Vince DiCola came bursting onto the movie scene as both a songwriter and a film composer. His love for progressive rock music, his skills as a keyboardist, and his love of synthesizers gave him the unique sound that Hollywood was looking for. This is The Soundtrack Show. back to the soundtrack show i'm your host david w collins and this is part one of our two-part interview with composer vince decola i grew up listening to decola's film scores and was so intrigued by not only the incredible sounds of synthesizers but by the rhythmic progressive rock nature of his film scores my two favorites of his were the fresh take on bill conti's rocky music featured in rocky four and my other was the animated feature Transformers the movie. But even more impressive is his story about how he got there. In less than five years after moving to Hollywood, Vince DiCola was scoring one of the biggest movie franchises in the industry and was hand-selected by the film star Sylvester Stallone. Here is part one of our exclusive interview with Vince DiCola.
Vince, thank you so much for taking the time to chat with us on the Soundtrack Show. I know listeners are really excited about having you on the show. My pleasure. So uh, I've given a little intro about your music, but I want to talk, I want to hear you talk a little bit about your background and how you got to some of these very famous soundtracks that you, that you've composed. Um, Musically, it seems like, you know, just reading about you and your bio that you touched on a lot of different musical styles and even instruments. I mean, you, you studied percussion, but you're a keyboardist, you play guitar. Do you primarily consider yourself a keyboardist or is that just the task of the composer to just know so many instruments and all of their capabilities. Uh, keyboards was my first instrument. I started taking piano lessons at the age of five, and uh, drums came maybe I don't know three or four years after that when my parents bought me my first marching drum for Christmas. And uh, uh, you know, I, I just got into drums and percussion. I loved that. And when it came time to uh, get into high school and the high school bands and stuff. Percussion was just a lot of fun and, and you know, uh, marching around with the drums and and being a, a, a member of a percussion section and arranging things for that percussion section. It was just a lot of fun. And then when I went to, to uh, college, uh, I'll be honest with you, you know, the reason I majored in percussion uh, instead of piano was percussion was just so much easier. I mean, piano is is one of the most difficult uh uh, instruments to study uh, and 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 really excel at and, and not that percussion isn't but piano is like one of the hardest piano and violin and the string inst- stringed instruments are the the toughest instruments so yeah i just i just majored in percussion out of not laziness but uh you know trying to take a the sort of easier way out and uh but no keyboards has has been the focus of of my career anyway is that what got you involved in songwriting is your is your keyboard playing yes um you know i i after i left high school i was in and out of several cover bands back east i i grew up in a, an area called lancaster pennsylvania mm-hmm. and um i there was maybe four or five cover bands that i went in and out of and there was one show band that actually traveled up and down the eastern seaboard and uh and it, that that band had two keyboard players myself and another gentleman and um you know i loved that that was such great practice for me to to, to be playing four or five and six nights a week sometimes even though it was cover material it wasn't original material yet it it just honed my chops so well and and actually i have to tell you i'm i miss that i mean being in the studio is a great thing and um, but I really miss that steady playing and, and I'm trying to get back to that. Um, I, I did two performances last year and I know I'm jumping around here a little bit. You'll have to excuse me, but not um, at all, not at all. Um, I, I did two performances last year that really whet my appetite for getting back into it. But this time it's my own music and it makes a big difference when it's, when it's original music. So <clears throat> yeah, the, the cover bands really, that's where it started to interest me, uh, playing keyboards. And then, uh, uh, you know, just to share a little bit of how I got into the business out in Los Angeles. Yes, please. Um, in 1981, uh, my wife, Beth and I moved from Lancaster, Pennsylvania out to Los Angeles so that I could pursue a full-time music career. And literally this was a week after we got married. So, uh, it, it was a major change in our lives. And because it was such a major change, because we were leaving 
um, everything that was familiar to us to come to unfamiliar territory and a completely unfamiliar set of circumstances. I promised my wife we'd give it two years. And if nothing significant happened in my uh, music career within that time frame, we would move back. And I would say seven months after we moved to L.A., I met and started working with um, Frank Stallone, mm -hmm. who, aside from being Sylvester Stallone's brother, is also a talented singer-songwriter in his own right. Um, and Frank and I played around town uh, as a duo around L.A. for a while. And some months later, that led to me uh, meeting for the first time, uh, meeting his brother, S Sylvester. And the way that I met Sly was he came to a rehearsal and uh, let Frank know that he had just signed on to direct and write a new movie called Staying Alive. And it was going to be the sequel to Saturday Night Fever, which, mm -hmm. of course, is one of the biggest, uh, you know, selling soundtracks to this day of all time. And this was going to be the sequel to that. And there was going to be a soundtrack again. And... Uh, Sly told Frank, he said, look, um, you know, you're my brother. I can't just accept songs into the movie just because you're my brother. They will have to be approved by committee and they have to be right for the movie. And I'm warning you, there's going to be a lot of uh, bands and artists that are going to be submitting material for this. So knowing that if you want to write and submit some material, I can at least guarantee you that it will be considered and listened to. So. Lucky for me, Frank came to me and asked if I wanted to co-write some songs with him for this. And we wrote five songs together, uh, two with the help of a third collaborator. And this was the days before uh, computer music programs and laptops and Pro Tools and all that. So Frank paid out of his pocket to have these five songs recorded and mixed professionally. And back then, the big format, of course, was uh, the little cassette tapes. So... Frank took the resulting master cassette tape over to his brother's house and played these five songs for his brother. And his brother used the word hate in every instance. Not only did he not think they were wrong for the movie, he hated the songs. And, Ooh. you know, when, when Frank <laughs> delivered that news to me, uh, you know, I'm sure you can imagine how disappointed I was. And I, and, uh, I really thought that we, that was the end of it. But Frank called me up the next day. He said, would you mind, would you consider taking one more stab, making one more stab at this? And I said, Frank, I said, we're zero for five with your brother here. I, I don't see the sense in, in going any further. He said, well, the only thing we have to lose is time. And he said, let's just get together one more time and uh, see what we can come up with. So the next day he came over. I had a piano there. Frank had his acoustic guitar. And he gave me a tempo, you know, snapped his fingers to a certain tempo. And I started to play. And long story short, within about 30 minutes, we had the frame, at least, of uh, song number six. Hmm. And it was an up-tempo, high-energy rock tune. It had some theatrical elements to it. Uh, we didn't finish the song. We had an outline for it. We had an intro, a verse, a chorus, somewhat of a middle section, and somewhat of an ending. And Frank had brought over this little cassette boombox recorder and he said vince let's just record this idea i have a couple melodies in mind you just play it from beginning to end you know it's only three minutes long let's just get the idea down on tape which we did and when we were done um frank says okay i'm going to take this over to my brother i said 
Frank, please don't do that. I said, this is not the right format to play it for your brother. Let's at least get it recorded again, you know, professionally. And Frank says, well, and I'm kind of out of money and, and I have a gut feeling about this particular song. So let me go over, take this tape over to my brother's house. And he said, I don't know that he's home and I don't want to just leave it with somebody and have him listen to it without me. So it might be a day or two before I connect with him. So the, I've told this story many times and I still enjoy telling it. And you just let me know if I'm getting too long winded. No, here. <laughs> this is great. This is this is the drama that I just love. You know, the, the origin story of Instacola. Please keep going. OK, OK. Uh, you asked for it. <laughs> so um, I went out, I went out to dinner that night with my wife, Beth. And when we got back, there was a message on our answer machine. And this message literally changed my life and, and really put my career on a course of success that lasted for about six to seven years because voice came out of the machine saying, Vinny, it's Sly, home run. And wow. that song went on to become Far From Over. It was, uh, it was featured more than any other song in the movie Staying Alive, including songs by major artists like the Bee Gees and, and uh, some other artists that had submitted some songs and gotten some songs in the movie. thing. So after this song was accepted, it changed the whole tide. And um, Sly went back to the first five songs he rejected and found a place for all five in the movie. So here we have six songs in this movie and he had us write an, an additional song. So my first foray into the Hollywood film music industry that almost didn't happen was as a co-writer on seven songs for a movie written and directed by Sylvester Stallone and starring John Travolta. It's so, unbelievable. It's an not, unbelievable origin story. That's great. And now for a brief intermission. We return now to the soundtrack show. Now, but this is this is where I think it's just so what's so interesting about your story is going from staying alive to then suddenly being offered a chance to score uh, not just a whole film, which in and of itself being a, a songwriter, you know, co-songwriter to going to being the 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 sole film composer is on a film. That's one jump. But to do it in the Rocky franchise with one of the biggest stars of the 1980s. I mean, what was your reaction when Sly asked you to compose Rocky Four? Well, there's a whole story behind that, too. He didn't come out and ask me to score it. Um, I had to campaign for it, and I had to kind of do it under the radar, and I'll tell you why. So um, you were ready. You were ready. I, I was ready, but um, the, the, the information came to me through my manager, and my manager just happened to be the music supervisor on most of uh, Sylvester Stallone's movies, including this one. Uh, and he came to me. He was one of the first 
in the world, actually, to find out that there was going to be a, a fourth Rocky in the franchise, fourth movie. And he was also the first to find out that Sylvester had a falling out with Bill Conti, who scored the first three Rocky movies. Mm-hmm. And Robin said, listen, Vince, he said, after your work on Staying Alive, he said, it just sounds to me like you have a knack for, um, you know, not only vocal songs, but maybe some instrumental score stuff. Would you like to take a stab at um, auditioning to score Rocky Four? And I, you know, ever since he said that, it was like, I know, I knew, you know, I didn't have any delusions of grandeur. I knew how long of a shot that was. And I really didn't expect it was kind of cool because I really didn't expect anything to come of it. So it wasn't like I got my hopes unnecessarily up or, um, you know, it, it, it was just a simple matter of my manager feeding me plot points as they were as they were coming to him in the production. And of course, being that it's a Rocky movie, we knew there was going to be a training scene. We knew there was going to be a big fight scene, mm-hmm. um, found out that there was going to be a big death scene and a funeral scene in Rocky four, of course. Um, and a couple little, you know, tender scenes. And so Robin said, okay, I want you to write, you know, you know, the Rocky music, you're familiar with the, the other three movies and the, and the music in them and Bill Conti's music, write what you would feel would be a good training montage music and write what you feel would be good fight music. And I sat in my little one bedroom apartment that I had with my, with my wife at the time. And I had a little eight track uh, Fostex recording studio, <laughs> very basic stuff, very basic. I had a, I had a, uh, Yamaha electric grand piano and, um, I think I had a mini Moog synthesizer and I had this, this, uh, Fostex eight track. So what I would do is I'd, I'd come in there and I'd, I'd, I'd just, I'll tell you my, my main influence of, uh, of a genre of music. I grew up in the seventies and one of the biggest, most, popular genres of that time was a genre called progressive rock. Mm -hmm. Um, and that, uh, included bands like Emerson, Lake and Palmer. Yes. Genesis, gentle giant. Uh, there were maybe 10 bands that were doing real well in that genre. And that really was the music that I grew up on, especially because a lot of it was keyboard based. A lot of it combined rock music with, um, classical and jazz and it was a great hybrid of styles, and it was great for a keyboard player because um, that was the days when these keyboard players would have literally a room full of keyboards when they would perform. And it just, it, I was so enamored with that that uh, I couldn't help but be influenced by it. I'll be the So what I did when I did Rocky was I took that influence and combined it the best way I could with what what uh, Bill Conti's music suggested to me. And, you know, I happened to hit on a formula that, uh, you know, was later on, uh, you know, discovered to be just right for that time for that movie. And the the story goes that um when we had about five pieces of music done uh, in in my little studio five uh five demos um 
uh, Robin chose the exact right time with Sylvester on the production of Rocky IV. Sylvester was in his trailer one day, and Robin had not told him anything about talking to me or that I was doing anything musically for Rocky IV. He had no idea. He just took this, at the time it was a Walkman cassette tape, and uh, a tape player, and he had headphones, Robin had headphones with him, and he said, Sly, I want you to sit down in your chair and I want you to put these headphones on and I'm gonna press play. And Sly said, well, what is this that I'm listening to? And Robin says, I'm not gonna tell you, just I want you to listen to the first piece on this thing. <clears throat> and the first piece just happened to be the demo of Training Montage. And um, uh, I think about 30, Robin tells me that about 30 seconds into it, Sly jumps out of his chair and says, who the F is this? And then Robin said, this is, uh, at the time he knew me as Vinny, he said, this is, you know, your, your brother's co-writer on Staying Alive, this is Vinny DiCola. And Sly said, you gotta be kidding me. He said, this is perfect, hire him, done. Robin delivered this news to me that night, it was really, it was terrifying to me. I mean, ah. it was like, okay, I didn't ever count on getting the job, but now that I was told that I got the job, I had to figure out how was I gonna do this. I had never scored a movie before, and we're not talking about a little movie. This is a major, you know, part of a major blockbuster series. Um, it's funny, and, I'm almost relieved to hear you say that because I was like, that's so superhuman uh, to just suddenly take that on. And yeah, I mean, what a what a what a terrifying yet wonderful phone call. Anyway, yeah. in the next steps, I mean, now yeah, now you had to gear up, you had to budget up, you had to and then essentially write an entire feature. Um, yeah. Anyway, uh, I, I don't mean to interrupt. This is great. No, it's okay. Um, luckily, there was only it ended up being 37 minutes of score music. It wasn't that much because there were a lot of songs uh, the vocal songs by, uh, you know, major artists at that point, mm -hmm. uh, James Brown, Kenny Loggins, a uh, bunch of other people I can't remember now, but, um, uh, so yeah, it ended up only being 37 minutes of score, but those 37 minutes were key. You know, I mean, uh, uh, the, the fight scene, of course, which ended up being, I think six or seven minutes of the score, mm -hmm. uh, the training montage, that was the one I was most concerned about because that was always a big moment, you know, aside from the fights, which were the biggest moments in all the Rocky movies, the training scenes, especially from that first movie, were so iconic. I wanted to get that right. 
I wanted to do that first, get that out of the way. And I figured if I could succeed with that piece of music and, and really excite people and excite, excite Sly and, and the committee of people that were hearing this stuff and making decisions, um, that would go a long way toward making me feel comfortable to do the rest of the music. And luckily I got that one out of the way first and that was what he responded to first. And it was a very enthusiastic response. Uh, I won't say it was all downhill from there because again, this was, you know, I had never scored a movie before. So when I got that phone call, it was like, okay, now what are you going to do? You have to deliver. Mm -hmm. And, um, as you said before, the timing was right. I was ready. The influences that I had just happened to be perfect for that time. And, um, uh, you know, I, I just went by my instincts and, and, you know, knowing that it's a Rocky movie, you know, there's going to be tons of brass fanfare stuff. I mean, that's a given. Mm -hmm. Um, that was part of all three Rocky movies before that. And it was, you know, a big part of all the Rocky movies since then. So, you know, I had somewhat of a template to follow, but I had to be careful. I didn't want to copy Bill Conti. I wanted to have my own identity. And that really came from my influences from progressive rock. That's that's what set me apart from Bill Conti. Bill was like, you know, the tradi I, I won't say this. I don't mean this lightly. He was the traditional Hollywood film score orchestral guy. And, mm -hmm. uh, you know, one of many. And I came more from a rock background. So my my first instinct, my first goal with the score was uh, to bring drums and percussion more to the forefront, uh, sonically, um, uh, importance, you know, the, the importance level, the degree of importance of those instruments, uh, brought them to the forefront, made sure that they were big sounding. And when I brought in an orchestrator, a guy named Jeremy, Jeremy Lubbock, who is mm -hmm. phenomenal, um, he got it right away when he heard my demos. He said, Vince, he said, I hear the orchestra supporting the synthesizers in this. I don't hear it being a primarily orchestral score. I think you need to retain the rock elements, the, the big drums, the guitars, the synths, and let me just orchestrate it to support all that. And that's what we ended up with. And I think that is the biggest difference between what I did versus what Bill Conti did. You know, it's so interesting hearing you talk about having music that is very synth forward, but also very percussion and drum forward is yeah. it makes me immediately wonder about two things. One is about the pace of the edit. I know that a lot of times editors love to cut to music, especially that was in the height of the MTV era. And it yeah. makes me makes me think about, um, uh, you know, any temp music issues that you may or may not have had to deal with if you weren't able to get your music to the editor before a final cut. What was your relationship like with the picture editor? Or did they just hand you final reels and you just had to kind of conform to whatever tempo felt right with a cut? Well, here's the nice thing about it. Because I did these demos before most of the scenes were even finished, they tempted the they tempt the music, the the film, with my music. Oh, perfect. Which was really good. I mean, there were a few in the song slots, there were other songs that they used before the 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 final songs were chosen. But for the score stuff, most of it was the stuff that I had submitted as demos before most of the uh, shooting was even finished. So, and the music, I mean, the um, the film editor, a guy named Don Zimmerman, who had also been with Sylvester for, I don't know, five or six films up to that point. So he was very familiar with um, how 
Sly loved the move the movies to be edited, and he was a very musical guy, which is another thing I lucked out with. Mm-hmm. And I realized after the fact, when Don told me this, that very rarely does a first time composer even get invited to come on the scoring stage, uh, uh, or the, the 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 mixing stage rather, where the dialogue and sound effects and uh, music is all mixed together. You know, he said, Vince, he said, you were you were given a very uh, special treat there, uh, uh, special. Uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Privilege, um, almost a privilege. Yeah. yeah. Yes. And and he said, um, he said, I am a musical guy. I know what edits to make around your music. So all you have to do, I'm going to edit. The, I'm going to edit what you gave me. All you have to do for the final versions is go back and record the edits that I made, make them musical, and there's not a whole lot of different uh, additional cutting that's going to be needed. So I really lucked out with that. I, it was a team of people that they they gave me free hand. You know, they they gave me um, they gave me carte blanche to do what I wanted to do. They really didn't uh, get involved. Um, I had one. Um, uh, session with Sylvester, uh, uh, called a spotting session. And he, and, and, you know, he was telling me where he thinks music should come in and out, what type of music it should be. Um, and that lasted maybe, you know, an hour and a half. It was, it was just sat through the footage that he had. And he said, here's what I think. What do you think? And that was pretty much it. He kind of left me alone after that. So when I finally got to the, the mixing stage and I had already, uh, you know, I had already made the musical edits that uh, the uh, Don, the, the main editor, had suggested. And it really was not a, a hard, uh, it wasn't a hard task from that point forward. It was it was pretty much smooth sailing. The, the, only, the only hiccup I had with Sly was, and, and this happens a lot, uh, and I'm sure you've heard this from other composers, actors and actresses and directors and producers get used to certain music if they've if they've heard it all, over and over again in the temp music okay yes. they get married to it they get they i i call it demoitis they listen to the demos over and over and again especially if it's up against picture to almost to a point and this happened in staying alive where they get sick of it and you have to be very careful with that because they made a decision early on when they first heard something that they loved it, not realizing it that they, the more they heard it, the less in love, the more out of love they fell with it. But they had to be careful not to make the wrong decision based on that because obviously people who were coming to see the movie were going to be seeing it and hearing it for the first time. Right. In, in the case of Rocky um, – he had become Sly had become enamored and used to hearing a certain version of War, which was the fight music. Um, and because I composed that piece before the footage was even finished, the 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 music that I composed for the demo was about five minutes long. Well, the fight scene was about seven or eight minutes long, so I had to write additional music for the movie version. And Sly had a hard time with that. He had, you know, it, because it didn't sound like the demo, and I yeah. couldn't explain to him, look, you can't just you can't just loop certain sections of the music. You have to have new music, uh, additional music, in addition to what I wrote originally to go up against the picture. And 
that was the only hiccup that we had. He just he he had a hard time getting over that. But with everybody, including Don and Robin, my my manager, who was the music supervisor, and Don, who was the editor, and the music editor, and everybody, you know, basically coming together and saying, "Sly, this is the only uh, this was the only way out of this for Vince." I mean, he couldn't take that piece of music that he wrote and just loop it it had to be there had to be some additional music written for it so once he understood that and and accepted that then it was it was smooth sailing and he and he really was was um enamored with everything i handed in which i was very lucky about well it's just such a great story and and i almost in listening to you talk about your relationship with the editor and sort of the musical cuts that were being made kind yeah. of explains why the movie feels like it's cut like a music video in some sections. You know, it's oh, yeah. it, it oh, yeah. has a rhythm. It has a, such a, 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 like, it has such a close cut. Um, yeah. In a way, I was hoping you were going to say that, that they were cutting to your music, which is so, yep. so rare. Um, it is rare. But, uh, but, I mean, you can really feel it when you watch that movie. And I think that that's why it stylistically feels... So like why the music feels so prominent, uh, you know, yeah. first of all, it's such a bold departure, but also uh, it really just informs the cut. I mean, completely. The soundtrack show will continue in a moment. We return now to the soundtrack show. One of the things I wanted to ask you about the score that that I think is another aspect of what you do. You know, I mean, the sound of string section's been around for hundreds of years, brass, percussion, things like that. Synthesizers, sure. especially in the mid-1980s, obviously they'd been around for a little while, but they were developing so quickly. And there were some things that you did in Rocky and Transformers, which we'll get to in a second, that yes. I think inspired a lot of sound editors and sound design careers particularly with your music for Ivan Drago. course Unicron we'll we'll talk about that but but just the inspired choice to create this uh synthetic machine type of track you know I think about his yeah, entrance yeah. music his suite um how how did that come to you and maybe you've told this story before but I just would love to hear it directly from you rather than reading it uh that that idea of this almost steampunk uh, before the, the the phrase even existed, this kind of relentless uh, breathing steam type of powered engine coming yeah, at yeah. you, this villain. What was the what was the inspiration for that? When and how did that come to you? 
Well, first of all, let me comment that you are one of the few people to recognize the tie-in from uh, Drago to the Unicron thing. That was there was a similarity, really, uh, between those two pieces of music, and, oh. and and you know with Unicron, and I know we'll get to that in a minute. It really was. I did have the Drago music in my mind at the time, um, at sort of a template. It, it's different enough, but. There's definitely a similarity, and I was definitely plugged into that when I was doing Unicron. Interesting. And, and I'll tell you, you know, so much of the score for Rocky IV, even starting back with Staying Alive, um, I have a friend named Casey Young, and Casey is a synthesizer programmer extraordinaire. He's worked with uh, groups like Yes. He's worked with Michael Jackson. Um, he worked with Mr. Mister. He's worked with so many artists and he was such a big part of my sound, if you want to call it a Vince DiCola sound. He brought a literally a room full of synthesizers into both all three of these projects. And in Staying Alive, we didn't really get to use them to, to, their, to their fullest um, uh, extent. But when it came time to do Rocky, we really let it we let it loose. And and. We had a room full of synthesizers, every synthesizer just about that was made at that time, including these big modular synthesizers. We had uh, a Moog modular, we had a, uh, an Oberheim modular, and an Emu modular. These are, uh, if you know anything about synthesizers, these look like big... Um, Switchboards. Uh, yeah, like like uh, the phone connector things, you yeah. know, the big phone boards of the of the old days where the... the the operators were plugging in the, the, the big pieces of furniture we're talking about. And the, the sounds that these things produced was just, it was just perfect for things like Drago and, and Unicron. It was otherworldly. It was, it was, there's no way you could get that sound out of an orchestra. And, um, in this, in the, in the instance of Drago, for instance, um, I basically went around the room while watching the, the 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 footage, and I would just, you know, Casey would get up a sound and he'd say, "Okay, go to this synthesizer, see if this sound hits you. Go to this synthesizer, see if this sound hits you." And and really, it was just it wasn't a matter of sitting down with a pen and paper and writing a piece of music for that for that cue and those type of cues and Unicron included. It was just a matter of 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 uh, watching the footage and sitting at these synthesizers and listening to the sounds that my friend was creating and creating cues from these sounds. And they were so inspiring to me. Uh, Casey had just such a great innate sense of what sounds should be uh, called up for these, for these uh, cues. Um, I don't think there was any instance where I said, okay, this isn't right, Casey, you need, you need to get me a whole, you know, new palette of sounds. In most cases, the things that he came up with originally were exactly what ended up on the soundtrack. It's just a matter of me, you know, figuring out uh, sort of a, a, a percussion track, which was that steam thing for Drago. Um, that was basically my 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 kick and snare drum, if you will. That was, uh, uh, you know, I didn't want a traditional kick and snare drum, although I could have gone that route. I wanted something that sounded big, mechanical, robotic. Because, you know, when you see Drago coming up that that uh, walkway with the big lights behind him, it was it was like, uh, you know, close encounters. And, and that's what they wanted it to look like. And right. 
I, I just was so inspired by that. And uh, luckily, my friend Casey just had these sounds that made it really easy for me to compose to. We'll be back next week to discuss Vince DiCola's incredible work on Transformers the movie. Thank you. Thank you.